Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. In Massachusetts, a top federal prosecutor is calling it quits after the Justice Department accused her of serious ethical misconduct. The Supreme Court allows a gun restriction law in Illinois to remain in place. The law restricts the sale of certain firearms, including AR-15 style rifles. A judge denies the former Theranos CEO's plea to delay her prison sentence. Not only that, she's also fined a multi-million dollar restitution fee. And Biden vetoes a bipartisan bill, now making it easier for Chinese-made solar panels to enter the U.S. market. We examine the controversy with analysis. Massachusetts, the top federal prosecutor is resigning. District Attorney Rachel Rollins plans to submit her resignation to President Biden by the end of this week. This comes after a 161-page Justice Department report found that she committed serious ethical misconduct. The official report found Rollins used her official position to try to help a fellow Democrat's election effort. It states that Rollins attended a partisan political fundraiser without required department approval and that she sought to influence the election by, among other things, disclosing non-public sensitive DOJ information to the press. After the Boston Herald published an article about her fundraiser appearance, Rollins tweeted that she had approval to meet First Lady Joe Biden there and that she left the fundraiser early to attend community events. Rollins was sworn into the position in January 2022. In her work, Rollins is known for refusing to prosecute low-level criminal offenses. And results are out in Kentucky, Florida, and Pennsylvania after voters headed to the polls yesterday for this year's primary and local elections. Here are some key takeaways. In one of the most watched races this year, Kentucky State Attorney General Daniel Cameron won the Republican nomination for governor. Cameron has former President Trump's endorsement. He beat out former Ambassador Kelly Kraft, who was endorsed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Tonight we prove that here in Kentucky, the American dream is alive and well, because here in Kentucky, you aren't judged by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. Cameron will be challenging incumbent Democratic Governor Andy Bashir in November. And speaking of DeSantis, a surprise victory for Democrats in Florida. Democrat Donna Deegan won the race for Jacksonville mayor, beating out Republican Daniel Davis, who had DeSantis's endorsement. Deegan is the second Democrat in the past three decades to serve as mayor of Florida's third largest city. And in Pennsylvania, an upset for progressive Democrats in the crowded race for Philadelphia mayor. Establishment Democrat Sherelle Parker beat out progressive Democrat Helen Gim to win the party's nomination. Parker campaigned on increasing the police force, while Gim had the backing of Senator Bernie Sanders and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is a blow to progressives within the Democratic Party, who have been winning mayoral elections in big cities such as Boston and Los Angeles in recent years. Parker told NTD what her priorities are during a campaign event in late April. 
Oh, clearly. We have to make our city safer and cleaner and greener, and we need to have access to economic opportunity for all. If we want to see gun violence reduced here, we have to give people access to the ability to take care of themselves. So increase home ownership. Um, just give people access to opportunities to earn a living wage and to take care of themselves. The Biden administration's border policies are facing obstacles in court. A federal judge yesterday expanded a block on a policy that fast-tracks the release of illegal immigrants. The Biden administration's parole with conditions policy allows federal authorities to release illegal immigrants into the country without a court date. U.S. District Court Judge T. Kent Wetherill ordered a preliminary injunction on the policy. This was at the request of Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody, who has filed a number of lawsuits against President Biden's border policies. The judge agreed that Florida would suffer irreparable harm without the injunction. It will remain in effect while the case plays out in court. And another ruling in New York dealt a blow to New York City Mayor Eric Adams' plans to deal with illegal immigration. A New York Supreme Court judge has temporarily blocked the mayor from busing illegal immigrants to Orange County in upstate New York. Adams had ordered two suburbs, Orange County and Rockland County, to provide the illegal immigrants up to four months of temporary sheltering. The two counties declared a state of emergency and filed separate lawsuits over the plan. This comes as New York City struggles to handle the influx of illegal immigrants being bussed from border states. And North Carolina lawmakers banned most abortions after 12 weeks of pregnancy yesterday. The House and Senate both voted to override the veto of Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. Shouts of shame, shame were reportedly heard on the House floor after the vote. The legislation outlaws most abortions after the 12-week mark, but would make special exemptions for complex cases such as when the life of the mother is at risk. Abortion is currently legal in the state up to 20 weeks. The new 12-week law takes effect on July 1st. North Carolina's lawmakers originally had no chance of passing any abortion ban, with Governor Cooper vowing to veto any such move. But that all changed in April when a lawmaker left the Democrats and joined the Republican Party. Republicans then had the votes necessary to override the governor. Cooper has made repeated appeals to Republicans in the state not to support the legislation. Here's Cooper speaking to supporters. This bill has nothing to do with making women safer and everything to do with banning abortion. How about leave the medicine to the doctors and the decisions to the women? White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre criticized the North Carolina lawmakers. She called the law dangerous and out of touch with the majority of North Carolinians. And turning our attention now to a contentious move by President Biden yesterday, he vetoed a bipartisan bill that would have reinstated tariffs on certain solar panels made by Chinese companies and brought into the U.S. in violation of trade rules. Biden said the bill interfered with American innovation, but Republicans and some Democrats have said that his move fails American manufacturers. While some environmental groups support Biden's move, the U.S. has previously accused the Chinese regime of committing genocide in a region of the country where much of the world's key solar panel material originates. Earlier today, I spoke with environmental attorney Steve Malloy for his analysis. 
Steve Malloy, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Steph. Now, President Biden vetoing this bipartisan bill, you know, it's designed to protect American workers in the solar panel industry against Chinese competition. But Biden actually says it does the opposite. Uh, what's your take on it? Well, I'm just absolutely appalled that uh, Biden is not going to institute tariffs or take other action against these, you know, Uyghur slave labor made panels. I, mean, I think 70% of the panels come out of China are made by slave labor. And Joe Biden is okay with that. And I think that's just appalling. And then, you know, he further gaslights us by saying that, oh, this is actually going to help the U.S. solar industry. Well, this is not going to help uh, U.S. solar manufacturers. I mean, it may help, um, you know, people who are installing panels or want panels installed, but it's not going to help the manufacturing industry. But the whole thing is just really appalling to start with. As you mentioned, there's a humanitarian aspect here, which is very blatant and which is why partly that this uh, bill had such bipartisan support. Why do you think Biden has chosen this action? You know, I don't, I'm not quite sure what action uh, the Biden administration has taken against China. Um, you know, past solar panels, uh, the Biden administration is moving to make us even more dependent on China through its electric vehicle mandates and other spending of the Inflation Reduction Act for wind and solar. I mean, that money is actually going to go to communist China. All we're doing is enriching and empowering our main geopolitical rival and aiding and abetting these crimes against humanity that communist China is committing. Considering the bipartisan nature of this bill, what do you expect lawmakers to do? Do you expect them to push back again? Well, I guess there is some slight chance that Biden's uh, veto could be overridden. You know, Kevin McCarthy could make the right deals with the right people uh, and put some pressure on the Senate. It could happen. I mean, I doubt it. We just have to keep spotlighting how the Biden administration is just making us more and more dependent on communist China and overlooking all the problems that are going on over there. I mean, you know, it, it's pretty clear that our economy is way too dependent on China and no one is doing anything about it. And then you have all these, you know, just insults to humanity going on. And, you know, the Biden administration, which is, you know, worried about all sorts of social issues here is not worried about social issues there. I'm hoping that Republicans in Congress uh, continue down this road of trying to take action against this to stop this. And then ultimately, you know, voters in 2024 are just going to have to decide, is this, do we really want more of this? Steve Malloy, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights. All right, Steph. Thank you. A former intelligence official testified today on Capitol Hill. He answered questions about a letter he signed to suppress Hunter Biden's emails. NTD's Arlene Richards breaks it down. On Wednesday, the House Judiciary Committee questioned former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, whose name appeared first on a 2020 letter signed by 51 former intelligence officials. The letter claimed that emails on Hunter Biden's laptop were likely Russian disinformation. The creator of the letter, Michael Morell, a former deputy director of the CIA and one of the 51 signatories, said during his testimony that Antony Blinken, then a senior advisor to Joe Biden, had reached out to him. The committee detailed in an April press release that Blinken spoke to Morell on October 17, 2020, about a New York Post article. 
The press release explained that the New York Post published a report detailing how Hunter Biden used the position and influence of his father, now President Joe Biden, for personal gain with the apparent awareness of President Biden. Investigative journalist and host of Truth Over News, Jeff Carlson, said the letter was specifically designed to protect Biden. The intent was to deceive the American public in a presidential election. Once the narrative had been established, they set out to accuse others of exactly what they were doing. The letter was also allegedly created to provide Biden with a talking point in a debate with Trump. According to the committee, Morell also received a call from Steve Reschetti, chairman of the Biden campaign, following the October 22 debate to thank him for writing the statement. Committee Chair Jim Jordan told Fox News this about Morell. A current a, a employee of the CIA was actively soliciting people to sign on to this letter that was used in a total political fashion. Another signatory to the letter, former CIA Director John Brennan, sat for a four-hour interview with the committee. Jordan said this about Brennan's testimony. And he further confirmed that this thing was all political. Clapper, who recently testified about the letter, had questioned former President Trump's judgment several times during the special counsel's Russia investigation. I have concerns, and uh, uh, as do others, and I have tried to be factual and temperate and moderate about it, but, uh, uh, but I do have concerns, and no, I don't have any regrets. Meanwhile, in a related Hunter Biden matter, an IRS whistleblower's attorney said that the IRS has removed the whistleblower and his team from a criminal investigation into Hunter Biden's taxes and business dealings at the request of the Justice Department. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The Supreme Court handed down a decision today on Second Amendment rights. The High Court refused to block a ban on certain firearms including AR-15-style and AK-47-style rifles in Illinois. The Supreme Court didn't disclose the vote count and didn't explain its action. Gun rights advocates had asked the court to place the ban on hold while lawsuits play out in lower courts. They argue that those courts have ignored last year's landmark Supreme Court ruling that expanded Second Amendment rights. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul, meanwhile, argued that the types of firearms targeted by the state's prohibitions fell outside of the Second Amendment's protections for firearms that are commonly used for self-defense. And coming up, a judge denies the former Theranos CEO's plea to delay her prison sentence. Not only that, she's also fined a multi-million dollar restitution fee. New York City Mayor Eric Adams lays out a plan to combat retail theft in the city. Part of the plan is to address the underlying reason for the theft. Former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes appears to be bound for prison soon. An appeals court Tuesday rejected her bid to remain free while she tries to overturn her conviction. She was previously found guilty of fraud for convincing investors of a fake blood testing technology. In another ruling issued late Tuesday, U.S. District Judge Edward Davila ordered Elizabeth Holmes to pay $452 million in restitution to the victims of her crimes. Holmes is being held jointly liable for that amount with her former lover and top Theranos lieutenant, Ramesh Orsani Belwani. 
He is currently in prison after being convicted on a broader range of felonies in a separate trial. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision on Holmes' attempt to avoid prison comes nearly three weeks after she deployed a last-minute legal maneuver to delay the start of her 11-year sentence. Davila, who sentenced her in November, previously ordered her to surrender to authorities on April 27th. Davila will now set a new date for the 39-year-old to leave her current home in the San Diego area and report to prison. The punishment will separate Holmes from her current partner, William or Billy Evans, their one-year-old son, William, and three-month-old daughter, Invicta. Holmes' pregnancy with Invicta, Latin for invincible or undefeated, began after a jury convicted her on four counts of fraud and conspiracy in January 2022. Holmes had previously tried to use her pregnancy to delay serving her prison sentence. Davila has recommended that Holmes serve her sentence at a women's prison in Bryan, Texas. But there's neither confirmation nor information about her moving to another facility. Eileen Ng, NTD News, Santa Clara, California. And mayors from California's most populous cities came together today to deal with the issue of homelessness. They're asking the governor for additional resources to provide housing for the homeless in the state. NTD's David Lamb has those details. As you can see, this is a homeless site in Silicon Valley. Now, earlier today, 13 mayors, including the mayor of San Jose, went to the Capitol building to ask for increased and consistent funding to address the homelessness crisis. The mayors also talked about reformed conservatorship, mental health, and more funding for Project Home Key, which converts buildings and hotels into homeless housing. The mayors are part of a bipartisan coalition of California's 13 most populous cities called Big City Mayors, chaired by San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria. And that's why we're here today, to call on the state to increase HAP funding to $2 billion a year and to make this funding permanent to address California's biggest humanitarian crisis. Governor Gavin Newsom is currently budgeting $1 billion for HAP, the Homeless Assistance and Prevention Program. According to the coalition, with state funding, the cities increased shelter beds by 15,000 and served more than 120,000 people. Through HomeKey, they created 5,101 homes. We need to keep the momentum going and $2 billion on an annual ongoing basis for HAP and an additional $1.5 billion for HomeKey will help us do just that. While thousands of individuals have been helped, many are still in a state of suffering. NCD heard from locals on their thoughts. I think they should use it wisely, invest it on the people, on case managers, uh, social services, uh, everything, everything that they're doing now, but better. You can't cut corners on anything. It should be clean business, no corruption. Absolutely no corruption. In San Jose, California, David Lamb, NTD News. Next, we're looking at New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who has released a plan to help prevent retail theft. It aims not only to deter theft, but also to address the underlying reasons behind it. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. And here's the number that jumps off at all of us. Uh, 327 repeat offenders were responsible for 30 of 30 percent of those arrests. 327 people were responsible for the 22,000 arrests. 
On Wednesday, New York City Mayor Eric Adams released a report on combating retail theft in New York City. Part of the plan is to address the underlying reasons why people shoplift, which could be substance abuse or mental illness. There were those who were stealing because of needs, uh, and they did not know how to access the various city services, the food pantries, and the other areas where you can actually Instead of having to steal that loaf of bread, you can go and actually find the various places where we are supplying people with the food they need. And New York City plans to install kiosks in stores to help connect people with critical government resources and social services. I'm just not a person that believes you only deal with the underlying reasons and ignore the fact that a person committed a crime. I don't subscribe to that. The plan also explains that when retailers submit reports to the NYPD, it helps district attorneys make stronger prosecutions. The chief of crime control strategies added this. So the mayor talked about the 327 people last year that were arrested almost over 6,000 times. So let's talk about the 250 people this year that have been arrested almost 2,500 times. Yes, 250 people in 2023 have been arrested almost 2,500 times. Again, New York state law says that if a person steals less than $1,000 worth of merchandise, it is generally punishable as a misdemeanor rather than a felony. The chief also added that the NYPD is working with prosecutors and they're seeing an increase in arrests of repeat offenders. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. Retailer Target today says it could lose half a billion dollars this year due to retail theft. Its CEO says the problem is nationwide and getting worse. And over in Montana, it's now illegal to use TikTok. The governor just signed a bill banning the app for all residents this afternoon. He says it's to protect citizens' data from the Chinese Communist Party. TikTok's parent company is based in China, and multiple lawmakers have raised concerns about data security, as well as questions over what the algorithm promotes. While multiple states and the federal government have banned the app on government devices, Montana is the first state to do so statewide. TikTok is expected to challenge the ban. And now for your sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with a look at the subjects surrounding this week's PGA Championship. That's right, Steph. Golf's second major starts tomorrow and with Tiger Woods sidelined after last month's ankle surgery, the topic surrounding this year's event is the ongoing Live Golf controversy. Now, 17 Live Golfers are in this week's field as this event, like the other three majors, operates outside the confines of the PGA Tour and can invite players who automatically qualify, whether they're part of Live or the PGA. Yet one major metric for player inclusion, which is world ranking points, after roughly a year of play is still not granted for any of Live Golf's standard 54-hole events and could soon start impacting players as the points are based on a rolling two-year calculation. They were underneath the impression that somehow 54-hole golf was going to be recognized by the body that gives world ranking points. And as I've said to you before, 54-hole golf is the equivalent of baseball saying it's a seven-inning game. James Ward, who's a senior editor at Golf Today, though, says that world ranking points is just one of Liv's problems, the other being the public relations nightmare caused by the reportedly enormous Saudi funding. Nobody in the professional golf orbit that we know of today wants to be involved with that. They know how radioactive that situation is, so they don't, they don't want to sponsor it. 
period. Okay, so Liv has to underwrite all the costs that go with it. But the PGA Tour loses out too because they're losing out on some primetime players. Phil Mickelson, who's one of those primetime players, will make his first return here since becoming the oldest to win a major at age 50 two years ago. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, no NHL games again, but in the NBA, the Eastern Conference Finals kick off with the Boston Celtics hosting Miami Heat in a rematch of last year's Conference Finals that went the distance. And finally, for you baseball fans, nine games are on tonight, featuring the finale of the Yankees-Blue Jays series that's seen allegations of sign-stealing against Aaron Judge, which was actually legal in this case. New York will start ace Garrett Cole opposite Toronto's Chris Bassett. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.